Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Welcome to the show, Adam. I hope you're feeling extra brainy today. I am not. <laughs> ben, have you ever been to a two-day Polish wedding? I just was. I cannot say that I have, and I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's one of those things where if you remember being to a two-day Polish wedding, you may be lying about being (laughs) at a two-day Polish wedding. It was incredible. You would have loved it so much. It was in Chicago. FODs who have listened to the show for years and years will remember that I went to Poland five years ago to visit family I didn't know I had. And this family has remained in close contact ever since. And one of the youngest family members got married over the weekend, one of our favorites, and had this two-day wedding, the customary Polish two-day wedding, I'd learned. (laughs) And let me tell you something, man. It is not just like a wedding and a reception and like a smaller second-day reception that's like a nothing hang. Right. This was... Balls to the wall, two-hour Catholic mass into eight-hour reception at a party <laughs> hall that went until four in the morning on day one. And then the very next day, another reception that went from four until 10. Tons of food, all Damn. the limoncello and vodka, like bottles of limoncello and vodka on every table. And Ben, there were 500 <laughs> people at this wedding reception. Oh my God. It was a fucking blowout. It was so much fun. Everyone was so nice. And also, out of 500 people, I think me and my wife were uh, one of the 10 people who didn't speak Polish. (laughs) And that did not stop the fun for us at all. Because the universal (laughs) language at a Polish wedding is eat and drink. Yeah, it's shot of vodka. (laughs) Incredible time. Wow. I have so much love for my Polish family and so much appreciation for their patience for me and my wife because, like, again, I can't emphasize this enough. I know four words in Polish. (laughs) (laughs) It's thank you, it's cheers, and it's grandma and grandpa. That's it. (laughs) Which one is jinkui? (laughs) Jinkuya is thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was told by the people who, who know some English that that is really all you need. Yeah. You can really get by there. <laughs> so we can't wait to go back now. Our interest in the Polish culture has been reawakened after uh, a long time away from our beloved Polish family. And this may be really bad news for you personally, mm-hmm. but so many of them live in Chicago. <laughs> so many of them really want to come to our live show. Uh-huh. I will remind you again, not many of them speak good English. <laughs> <laughs> I will remind you that we are allotted a set number of comps per show. Oh, no, they want to pay and support. But what I'm okay, saying great. is like a, a large number of the audience will probably not understand 
the stupid things that we're doing on stage. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Our universal language is embarrassment, though, right? I'm, I'm down to win those people over. Yeah. Are they the chair-throwing type? Because I've heard that that Chicago venue can get a little rowdy. Yeah, it sure looks that way. I think by now they've bolted down the chairs. At least I hope so. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if they sell limoncello at the city winery. Yeah. But uh, we might have to put that on our rider. <laughs> How's the city winery fixed for uh, for sausages? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going to be the most Polish group of FODs we've ever had at a show. Wow. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> well, that sounds like a blast. Was it like a mixed wedding or was like the, the, the bride and the groom both from Polish families? Hence the... Yes. The scale of the affair? Absolutely. Polish on both sides. Very, mm-hmm. very Polish. Hot Polish on Polish action? It really was. Yeah. <laughs> very beautiful Polish people on both sides and everywhere. Just a beautiful family all around. That's Really great. made me look like a pile of crap. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's just kind of the thing at weddings, right? Like, we yeah. show up not being part of the wedding party, and you're like, oh, man, all these people, like, did things to prepare for this. Yeah. I'm enthusiastically into the culture, but, like, I could not participate in the Highland dancing. Mm-hmm. I did not know any of the songs, and there were so many songs played by the DJ. Like, you may be surprised to learn just how much Polish dance music exists oh, in yeah. the world. But the playlist was like nonstop Polish bangers. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew none of them. That's one of the great things about going to a wedding that is like not the culture that you inhabit in yeah. your day-to-day life is like, oh man, these guys have their own little thing going too. <laughs> like, yeah. One of my best friends is Somali and his wedding, they had like a singer who, from what I was told, is like, an absolutely massive deal in the Somali community. Like (laughs) he was the wedding band and it was just like an iPod with backing tracks and him singing. But apparently Somali Instagram was absolutely flipping their shit when they (laughs) saw that he was like playing this wedding. (laughs) That they got this guy? Holy shit. Yeah. So like the whole wedding party was like, oh my God, like you have to see like, like posts were going like, absurdly viral like my friend the groom was suddenly like much more famous than he'd ever been in his life they got somali drake to play the wedding (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i was like oh yeah he seems pretty good like i don't i don't know the type of music but this guy seems quite talented and and i'm enjoying it you know (laughs) it felt so good to like fuck up publicly like i'm not a great dancer i'm not a great singer but i'm like trying to hang in this thing but there was never a point where i felt like all of the heads turned toward the the people who didn't know what was going on with any kind of judgment (laughs) at all like it felt so socially supportive in the best of ways yeah if you have a chance to go to a wedding that is a culture of not your own and you're an fod out there like do it do that do it every time that's a great away mission you know yeah Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of away missions outside your culture, Adam, a couple of members of the Voyager crew encounter something that they are not used to in today's episode. Do you want to get into it and educate the Friends of DeSoto a little bit at the same time? That's right, Ben. Eagle-eared listeners of the end of the last episode will remember that this is an nth degree square on the game of buttholes. (laughs) 
Will of the Caretaker. And so uh, throughout the episode, Ben and I will be dropping some science yeah. on the viewers about what we've learned about either the production or the actors or, uh, or anything having to do with this episode. This is the product of weeks of research, interviews yeah. with writers, uh, crew members, academics who have studied this episode. People willing to break strike rules in order to talk to us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> about their work. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it, Adam. It's season six, episode 16, Collective. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. The episode opens on the Delta Flyer with what I think is the first depicted poker game since Star Trek The Next Generation, right? Yeah, and actually there's something pretty interesting about this scene. They're playing poker on the Delta Flyer. It's the away team. And this was lifted from a script that was written for the series finale of TNG. Originally, Picard was the Neelix part in this scene. So like that that scene at the end of the series finale when Picard sits down to play, uh -huh. you know, it, it just fades out and plays the music in, in what went to air. But originally Picard was like terrible poker face, like, you know, saying the thing <laughs> about how he needed a heart, frowning when he obviously did not get a heart. The worst kind of person to play poker with. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, this is the first time I played... What is it called? Poker. Poker. Right, yeah. And it just really ended on, you know, a sad trombone of Picard being terrible at poker. The stakes seem too damn high here, right? Because they're not just playing for chips. No. Or replicator credits or whatever. They're playing for labor. Because <laughs> what is shoved into the pot toward the end of this hand is who gets a day off in the morning? Yeah. And this is Tom Paris's suggestion when he realizes that Neelix probably has a dog shit hand. So he's like, you know, yeah. I have better than one in four odds of winning this. So, uh, so why not? I think when you're on an away mission on a shuttle or the Delta Flyer or you're going to a conference or whatever, I think what we've learned over the years on Star Trek is that you need one guy sitting in the front seat looking out the window at all times. You need someone up there going, Borg's Cube, right ahead! <laughs> I was so distracted in this scene because the betting action seemed to be going right to left. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, <laughs> like, what is this? That's not how poker works. Yeah. That's not how any of it works. Maybe hundreds of years in the future, something changes about poker, but uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> So it's, oh my God, we're about to hit this thing into theme. And after the theme, I was wondering immediately how they got so close to this thing without knowing it. And they answered that question in like the first line of dialogue, like yeah. dispersal field, baby. Yeah. And this is like a an unusual looking cube. It's very like raggedy. Yeah. It's a little bit disheveled. It's a ratchet cube, isn't it? <laughs> And it's chasing the, the Delta Flyer. This is an uneven fight by any measure. Is it chasing the Delta Flyer? I feel like it could just sit back and lay there <laughs> while the Delta Flyer uh, does its flying business all around, you know? Yeah, you might have a point. I mean, the Delta Flyer is licking shots and expending more photon torpedoes than we usually get to see expended in an episode of Voyager. Yeah. 
are those a different kind of ordinance that can be replenished? That would make sense, right? If you're designing a, a new ship for the Delta Quadrant with the unique needs of the Delta Quadrant in mind, you would you would want it to be like something that could be refilled <laughs> from time to time. But you're right about the size of a conventional photon torpedo warhead. God, I'm such a fucking nerd. <laughs> it would seem as though like on a fighter jet, you've got the hard points where you hang. Right. The missiles, it seems like on the Delta Fly or a shuttle, you'd have to hang them outboard, you know? Yeah. Unless they're, they're, they've got a different ordinance on a shuttle or a Delta Flyer. I think they must. I mean, the Delta Flyer is a little hard to pin down in terms of scale because, yeah. like, why is there a Jeffries tube? Like, where is that relative to everything else? <laughs> Harry Kim doesn't ask that when he's banished to that place in order to, <laughs> quote unquote, clear the injectors. Yeah. Harry. Get down there and see what you can do. Get in there, Harry Kim. He is attempting to get warp propulsion back so that they can get the fuck out of here. The episode does that thing where uh, they're they're fighting the Borgs on the bridge and then the camera pans toward Harry Kim's seat mm-hmm. and it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that could mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone's back there with the of gloves. Yeah, yeah. He's looking forward to hearing that ship out of danger. Yeah. <laughs> How long did he last in the Spock box? <laughs> I think we know the answer. I lasted 22 minutes. So we get like the POV out the window of the ship as the tractor beam of the Borg cube grabs them. And then we are in sort of like, I guess like a dream sequence of of the assimilation, right? Because when the Borgs get you in their tractor beam, you can't break free because the Borgs tractor beam is made of an attenuated linear graviton beam, (laughs) and Borgs are strong. (laughs) Why do they keep making making them? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, this is all a dream. Neelix wakes up to read Board Up magazine and asks Chakotay why everything is lit green. I don't think enough is made of the horror of what it must be like to be having a nightmare and then wake up in that same nightmare. Yeah. How awful is that? Yeah. I'm still in the haunted house. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, this is a bad moment for Neelix, but he gets over it pretty fast. I mean, that's how my life has felt pretty much for the last several weeks. Yeah. (laughs) So. (laughs) What we got to do is wake you up somewhere else in a different city. That'd be fucking great. I need to go on tour, man. What's awful about this wake up for Neelix, and really for everyone, isn't just that he's woken up on a Borg ship. It's that there is a botched assimilation scene next to them on a table. Yeah. And it is gross. Oh my God. It's really gross. I mean, it's botched circumcision gross, Adam. <laughs> Yuck. I think that the limpness of the arm when Paris picks it up really sells this. I had a real problem with that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> do, do you think that that's like a, you know, a fake cadaver or do you think that they like put someone in the loaf and, and laid them down there? I mean, the answer is what's cheaper. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I don't know either. The arm looks really realistic is why I ask. Is this a fresh assimilation because of how rubbery and limp this guy is? Because uh, rigor has not set in, right? Hmm. 
I mean, the only thing rigorous around here is the research that we did into this episode. Mm, indeed. My trivia will come later. <laughs> I have no trivia for this scene. Chicote's plan at this point is to uh, bust out of this prison because to not at least attempt to do so would mean just sitting back and taking the assimilation, successful or not, that is headed their way. Yeah, they're in an assimilation chamber, so... Let me ask you a question. Oh, yeah. Say you're in there. You're in the assimilation chamber. You're expecting assimilation. Oh, yeah, it's like you can feel a sneeze coming on. (laughs) Do you think it's more scary to expect a failed assimilation or a successful (laughs) one? Oh, man. Both seem bad. Yeah. We've seen people come back from successful, though. I don't think anybody's coming back from the botched assimilation. You see that limp arm on the on the table across the way, and you're like, God, death may be better, right? Yeah, could be. I could maybe end up like that guy if I'm lucky. Yeah. What a crazy thought. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, sometimes that is better. Also worth pointing out that Harry is not with them. Yeah. So Harry doesn't have to contemplate being botched. Paris embodies the fear one should feel for Harry Kim being somewhere alone on this ship. So uh, we smash cut over to Voyager where they are finding the ion trail of the Delta Flyer and the signature of a Borg cube on long-range sensors. This is pretty quick that we're like warping up to the Borg cube and, you know, getting a scan of it. And Seven of Nine is starting to describe the various ways in which this Borg cube is fucked up and weird. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be making up its mind about what to target. It's being erratic and easy to fight, uncharacteristically easy to fight. There are five drones on board, is what they pick up in the scan. That's uh, an unusual crew compliment. Yeah. That's my bit of trivia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mathematically, that is 0.1% of the typical compliment. I mean, famously, we learned that a Borg ship can remain functional when 80% of it has been destroyed. And Mm -hmm. again, I've never felt like more of a nerd than my ability to just generate that trivia (laughs) without having done research. I just know that. (laughs) But this seems to be below 80% of the crew complement here, eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ship is uh, is not 80% fucked up. No. It's maybe, visually speaking, it's maybe 20% fucked up. What do you think about how the ship looks? I like how it's not a smooth cube. It's got, got some craggy bits. It's got some yeah, pointy stuff. It's fuzzy, you know? It looks like the part of a, like if you're cutting a piece of wood with a circular saw, mm-hmm. the unfinished, like chipped up side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are a couple of corners that look like that. Yeah. Do you remember when like Odo would get sick sometimes and he'd get all flaky? Yeah. It's like if you took the the vibes of that and put it on a Borg's cube. It is. Yeah. Unusual. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say this once. So Janeway just straight up hails this ship. She's like, five Borgs? I'm hoping one of them is next to the phone. (laughs) So Janeway attempts to negotiate a ceasefire in exchange for getting their crew people home. And the Borgs up the ante on this negotiation. 
they appear to have assimilated people uh, who've played poker before. <laughs> They're like, no, we want the navigational deflector. We just don't want a ceasefire in exchange for these folks. We want your deflector, and everyone knows from Star Trek First Contact what a deflector is good for, for the Borgs. Yeah, I actually did a little research about this in particular, and the idea in the writer's room was that when the Borgs in First Contact were told to assimilate this, that became a nearly religious aspiration <laughs> among drones to die while adapting a deflector dish into a communication device with the collective. Yeah. Much the way Klingons would like to die in battle, you know? Yeah. The Borgs watch replays of this all the time to pump themselves <laughs> up. Assimilate this. Yeah. Assimilate this. So Janeway's like, okay, we'll think about giving you our deflector dish, but we want a proof of life. We want Chakotay to hold up a copy of today's newspaper yeah. into a video or something. And uh, it is agreed that Voyager can send one crew member over. <laughs> I don't know why it made me laugh that this was just like, Seven, get over there. <laughs> I wish there were a bigger react on Seven of Nine to this moment. Or like Tuvok go like, you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the security person on the ship? I'm pretty sure it's Tuvok. You sure about that's not why? <laughs> I don't remember good things happening the last time Seven had had an interaction with the Borgs. Yeah, seems weird. <laughs> but over she beams, and uh, she's in a hallway full of Borg corpses. Yeah. This cube has got to stink, right? It absolutely does. And also, I know we're constrained by the budgets of a syndicated television show, but couldn't you have used, like, ten more bodies in this scene? <laughs> <laughs> just like heaped up like cordwood. Seven's like, oh, this is unusual. And she starts uh, tricordering one of the birdies she steps over. And uh, we don't get to learn what she learns because there's a Borg's voice on the intercom kind of urging her on. Yeah. Well, actually, I think part of the reason for that production decision, Adam, is in the next scene. She walks into a maturation chamber where there's a Borg's baby and this animatronic Borg's baby took up 85% of the entire production budget for this episode. Oh, I, I wish they spent more. <laughs> ben, you've had a baby in your home mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. How realistic did you find this beatus? <laughs> Actually, that's diabetes. <laughs> that doesn't work. The Borg's fetus in the jar. It's a homonym, you know? It's just yeah. two words that mean different things that sound the same. Yeah. It was terrifying to me. Yeah. But maybe not for the reasons that they intended. A group of the Lilis Borgs mm -hmm. appear from the corner as Seven is, is checking this thing out, this baby in the jar, and she negs the shit out of them. You are neonatal drones. You're incomplete. You'll continue to malfunction. She tells them to get back in their chambers because they're looking a little undercooked. <laughs> and the kids are like, we can't. Those chambers don't work anymore. This is the best we could do. I'm looking at this scene. There's five kids standing in front of her, but there's also a Betus behind her. I know. The scans were wrong. There are six drones aboard this ship. Sure are. Sure are. 
Uh, Seven would love to help if they would just let the hostages go. Maybe they're counting the twins as one drone. Is that why? Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, okay, so it's three and the Beatus and twins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so everybody... Cracks a Bud Light and starts partying. It's weird how Seven, like, counts them up with her finger and then looks into the camera and does that. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only time in the series she breaks that fourth wall. Yeah, but worth it, you know. Especially at the time, you know. Late 90s. People loved hearing about twins. Ben, all of the research I did about this episode has to do with the actor who plays Icheb. So now would be a good time to share the first bit of trivia I found out about them. Okay, I'm, I'm curious. The actor who plays Icheb was actually an accomplished home chef. His specialty is creeps, the thin French pancakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how that's pronounced. <laughs> Uh, Ichab is not really in charge. There's a shorter guy, and it seems just outrageous that the tallest white dude isn't the one running things. Were you feeling some heavy Red Dawn vibes here? And, like, these kids were the Wolverines? Wolverines! The way these kids mouth off at seven really seems like a, like, our parents aren't home kind of attitude. Right. And when Seven, like, announces that the agreement is being modified on the fly, they haven't really, like, prepared their birdies for the idea that they're not going to get everything they want. No, no. This is, like, sort of something we're used to. You know, Seven of Nine was a lot more like this when she first showed up on Voyager. And so she's sort of guiding them through this. And she tells them that she's not going to go any further until she checks on the hostages, makes sure... Everyone's okay. So off they march, and Seven gets a little bit of uh, backstory from Second as she comes to know him initially. He was first out of the maturation chambers when this cube got fucked up, but could not establish order and therefore was subsumed by First. I know. This is an episode that really doesn't want you to like First. Yeah. It's so that you don't feel bad when First dies later. Guess so. Is the little girl third? Or is she like fifth or fourth? When you're Borg's twins, are you a fraction? <laughs> like a fraction of a fraction? Yeah. Two and a half and, and, and three. <laughs> it's very confusing. As confusing as it is for us, it has to be more so for them. Yeah. And I guess you could come out of your maturation chambers at the exact same moment. So these twins presumably don't have that thing that other twins have where one of them's like, I'm two hours older. You know what? That's a great call. It seems like these are four Borgs that arrived at an intersection at the same time and they're trying to figure out who's (laughs) going first. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And first is just the one that hit the gas quickest. Yeah. Even though second knew the rules. Right. About what breaks the tie in that situation. It didn't seem to matter. Second was just being polite. Yeah. So in the Borg's brig, Seven arrives with, I mean, the kids are the prison guards, right? Right. And she's allowed in and then watches Paris get shocked by the littlest Borgs as a punishment. That was unnecessary. He learned his lesson. This little girl is going to be a handful, isn't she? <laughs> she really is. 
I thought it was interesting that this is the first Chakotay and Paris and Neelix have even seen of their captors. Like this, this yeah. ship is so empty. They haven't even seen these guys yet. And Tom is really getting tossed around. Harry's still unaccounted for. Yeah. But everybody's alive, so. This is the scene where there's a little bit of code between Chakotay and Seven. Very difficult to decipher <laughs> what it means when uh, he says that thing about Harry Kim as she leaves, right? Right. It's uh, easy to make a code up that dumbass kids that are Borgs won't understand. <laughs> she makes one request before leaving, and that is, uh, I see you have a lot of uh, dead bodies around here. We were trying to perfect our assimilation techniques. You failed. Mind if I take one of those back to study it? <laughs> Seems like you got a, a problem here. Yeah. Maybe we can help you with, and they agreed to let her do that. Seven isn't authorized to just hand over the deflector dish right now. So she's got to go back and uh, run it up the flagpole before they do the second part of the agreement. And, uh, and off she goes. That flagpole is on Voyager walking down a corridor with Tuvok where we learn that they haven't found Kim yet. There's an escape pod on the Delta Flyer? Again, where? <laughs> I don't know. Is this the sort of thing where you'd have to buy the model of it to know exactly where it is? Because it's a little piece of plastic you cut out of the tree and and glue to the exterior? <laughs> I think we might have to do that just to like understand this yeah. show a little bit better. So they're like, okay, well, he didn't eject, so maybe he's still aboard the flyer, or maybe the flyer's you know aboard the ship. And crucially, if we don't know he's alive, maybe the Borgs don't know either. So that's good. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. They catch up with the EMH who explains that these Borgs, this entire cube was taken down by a space-borne pathogen that specifically preys on cybernetic beings. Were you wondering why... Seven was not in danger of catching this thing. Does she not qualify anymore as a cybernetic being? The doctor says that it's like no longer active because it consumed the cube mm -hmm. and the maturation chambers protected the kids. So I was assuming that whatever, for, for whatever reason, it wasn't affecting the kids when they came out of the maturation chambers yeah. is also why it's not affecting Seven. But... You know, best guess. It's logical to consider the implications of weaponizing this pathogen, according to Tuvok. And uh, <laughs> boy, does the doctor take great umbrage with this. Yeah, the, the like knee-jerk biological warfare reaction that Tuvok, I feel like, is often expressing really rubs the doc the wrong way. But Unlike almost any other episode where the doctor will be like, I refuse to take part in this horror of science shit that you're getting into, the doctor complies this time. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll get to work on the, on the like horrible pathogen and weaponizing it. The doctor's permitted to object, but he still gets down to business. Yeah, he makes a face while he's doing it, you know. Can you reprogram him or something? Janeway has to ask Seven if the hostages are in any real danger from these fucking kids. And I think it's good to have that question asked because you look at these adolescent 
Borgs. <laughs> I, you just don't get much of a threatening read from them, I don't think. And it takes a conversation like this to make that apparent, right? Yeah, these are some some skinny little freaks that don't have an imposing presence when they walk into a room and stand in a tableau. It takes seven to say it for me to believe it. Like, yeah, the hostages could be killed by these kids. And with that as the answer, Janeway is compelled to authorize work on this bioweapon. There's coffee in that pathogen. She asks Seven one more question. On the Delta Flyer, it's a pretty small ship, so where is there room for a Jeffrey's tube, <laughs> if you had to guess? And we cut over to that Jeffrey's tube where Harry Kim is lying unconscious right where we left him. Yeah. Yeah, he slept through the whole thing. Yeah. He's late for the test. <laughs> His comm badge is beeping, and that's what wakes him up. Yeah, he was just asleep the whole time. <laughs> We get low-key one of the coolest shots I remember ever seeing in Star Trek Voyager, which is like the the interior of the Borg ship where the Delta Flyer has been captured, but it's been captured next to other alien ships yeah. who have had the same fate. I want to see more of these captured ships. I know. I didn't I never knew that the Borgs were like keeping the material that they're they're grabbing. Yeah, that rules. Yeah. So cool. I mean, they're horrible, and I don't support what they're doing, but uh, it's a compelling visual, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with watching, like, Russian propaganda videos of Ukraine if you know that it's wrong. Yeah, that that's where I was going. <laughs> that is a good comparison. <laughs> so Harry Kim gets to work on modifying comms on the Delta Flyer because that's what he's going to need to do to I guess he has to like send a message back on the same carrier wave as the as the signal he's receiving so that it's not detected by the Borgs. That's important. And so he gets to work on that and we cut back over to the kind of command area of the cube where Janeway has shown up to talk to these kiddos. This may be another uh, opportunity for me to drop some more trivia, Ben. Oh, yeah, I would love I would love to learn a little bit. The actor who plays Icheb has shared opinions on Twitter so stupid and self-immolating we almost lost half of our income ending our very successful podcast about it. <laughs> uh yeah, it doesn't seem like a star you want to hit yourself to. I know. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Janeway tries to kind of rework the negotiations. You know, her pitch goes over a bit like a lead balloon. Instead of us giving you the valuable piece of technology you asked for, what if instead you come with us and leave everything you you know behind and, and leave the collective? Yeah, this is not the moment for that pitch. No. They're not ready for it, and first is like, a violent asshole, like the littlest drone, also violent, but like first is really like setting the pace here. And he like slams Janeway up against a wall. Seeing her roughed up really upset me, but it upset me to the extent that I was like, hey, how about we board this fucking cube with a security detail and shoot some fucking Borg's kids and get the hostages out of there and then blow <laughs> up the damn ship? No! The only way to be sure. Fucking A. Why isn't that a 
proposal at least on the table? I don't know. The thing that's interesting about First is that First is negotiating basically in good faith, I think. Like, I don't think that First, like, has any designs on anything to, like, with the hostages. You think he's just single-minded like that? Yeah, he's he's single-minded and, like, from his perspective, Janeway does just keep changing the fucking negotiation. Like, she can't be relied on to do the thing she says she's going to do in the previous conversation. It just doesn't feel like the threateningness of both sides of this negotiation is equivalent Yeah. at this point. Like, Janeway articulates that they could turn this into a hot war immediately. I could replace the amniotic fluid of that Borg's fetus with vegetable broth. (laughs) And there's nothing you could do about it. Like, she could fuck some shit up, but that's not on the table anymore. It it seems like uh, First has the upper hand now. Yeah, it really does. She walks back onto the bridge, though, like, full of confidence. Like, I bought us two hours. Like, everything went exactly the way I wanted it to over there. This is like me coming back from a shopping trip, not able to find the thing my wife wanted exactly, and, like, celebrating that just before my wife stomps the shit out of my dick (laughs) over getting the wrong thing. Well... Yeah, but she does put on uh, some Louboutins before she does it, so that it's the way you like it. Uh Uh-huh. Hell yeah. Love it. So they get a message from Harry. Harry has succeeded in modifying his comms to work on this carrier wave and, uh, you know, communicates with them that he's okay. And they're like, hey, cool. Uh, You're actually less than a kilometer from... The uh, shield generator, the thing that we've been trying to knock out, but can't because it's buried too deep in the ship. You're convenient for story purposes, Harry. (laughs) Understood. (laughs) So so, uh, they're like, hey, man, take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. Get to those shield generators with your uh, bag of grenades. He's got a great mission. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. If you destroy it, you won't have to make the trip back. It's not like they're just asking him to take pictures or anything. I know. We cut back to uh, where Seven is working with the help of uh, the second. Probably another good time to share one of the pieces of trivia I found mm-hmm. about this character. I have, I have some trivia for this scene as well. Uh, we learn later that the character of Icheb is a Brunali. But many people might not be aware that early on, his species was called the Batali. <laughs> really dodged one there huh yeah that's interesting because um my trivia is is food related okay this is the kind of first scene where where his head is is well lit Mm -hmm. and uh you can really see that how they did this they made the the top of this character's uh head loaf with uh with kiwis Oh. Like the fuzz is uh, is made out of kiwi skins. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind we're on a Borg ship where Miriam atrocities have taken place. Yeah. Nothing is more atrocious visually than what's going on on the top of his head. Yeah. I'd say that a botched haircut might be the worst <laughs> thing that's happened. <laughs> We've seen a, a botched assimilation, a Borg fetus dunked in vegetable broth, and this character's hair. Yeah. Hard to choose, which is more nauseating. (laughs) Same team worked on his head as worked on the back of Tuvix's head. (laughs) 
This is the second in the Bad Hairline trilogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have to keep a lookout for the third. I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that latinum. Now I think we've just drunk gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Do it. 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 Do it.
So they start talking about their pre-assimilation childhoods and, you know, parents and, <laughs> like, it sort of, ironically, sort of seems like Echep has been cyber-stalking Seven. Like, he, he like, went and, and looked up her, her Borg's Facebook profile. I thought it might be relevant. Why? Yeah, you don't like that and you don't like the touching of the hair either. I guess you could call that cyborg stalking. You absolutely could. God, that was good. Yeah. That was fucking good. So, you know, they're they're chit-chatting about this when first comes around the corner and and really blows his stack. You know, the small talk is like one of the big rules. First is like, why'd you fix that guy's fucking stutter? <laughs> it was one of the things that made him second. <laughs> We all thought it was charming and helped establish his place in the hierarchy, and you fucking ruined it. Yeah. Did you know this this first has the same eye hologram as Hugh? Yes. That's got to be the same prop, right? Maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't want to wear the same eye appliance as another actor without a lot of uh, sanitizing wipes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. involved. That's how you get pink eye as an actor, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's how you transmit a, a space-borne pathogen from one Borgs to another. Maybe that's how it happened. They just uh, passed appliances all over the place oh, yeah. without washing yeah. them first. Gross. Yikes. Um, well, Seven has decoded the situation with the Borgs computer and reports back to Janeway that when this pathogen infected the cube, a distress signal was sent, and the collective just decided to cut its losses with this cube. So the rescue that these Borg teens are hoping for is not coming. It's like being so rich, you could just buy whatever company you want and it just doesn't matter if you run it into the ground and destroy it because you're Mm -hmm. an idiot. Like, that's what the Borgs are. The Borgs are just that rich. The amazing thing is that you can invest in something as massive as a cube and be obviously running it into the ground and there's still drones that'll be like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. And it's all part of a, of a brilliant plan that you just don't understand yet. Yeah. The thing about the Borgs turning their backs on, on the Lilith Borgs here is that makes these kids' need for the communication parts irrelevant, right? So with the deal falling apart, what can they do? Can they invite the Lilith Borgs to Voyager? Seven's like, hold on there. I'm not so sure these kids can be saved. Have you seen that one guy's hairline? (laughs) It's gross as hell. You were just over there, right? Yeah. And the lighting over there is... (laughs) Not flattering. (laughs) (laughs) And they also don't know if they want to be saved either. Like, that's a part of it. You can't, like, forcibly save these Borg's children. But uh, Janeway in this scene is optimistic for some reason. Because, like, of the Seven of Nine circumstances. Like... Seven is is kind of inspiring in this way. She is, but she corrects Janeway, and she's like, this is not going to be the same deal as me because, like, all of the stuff that happens in the maturation chamber is partly to do with, like, undoing the psychological harm of having been assimilated as a child. So all of the, like, Borg order that is supposed to overwrite all of the harmed parts of their psychology isn't in place yet. So, you know, individuating them may be opening a uh, Borg's Cube Pandora's box. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> I wish I'd said that. Like, setting aside those questions, like, that little girl has really got some, like, gauge from Pet Cemetery vibes. Like, she really seemed to enjoy shocking Paris the way she did. He learned his lesson. I'm surprised that that little girl didn't have wetter hair, given how creepy she is for most of this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, Janeway is pretty determined to get these kids and make some slickbacks of them. (laughs) So she's like, you know, going to power through. And uh, we catch up with Kim going on his hike through the ship. I really like this scene for Harry Kim. You do what you have to do to suppress how horrified you are in the situation, mm-hmm. keeping it light with the playing cards. Yeah, and, it, and you know, like it's his trail of breadcrumbs that he's leaving. There are only so many parts to a clarinet to leave behind. Right. Like, there's right. like five parts. That's not <laughs> enough. <laughs> Tuvok doesn't like this because he's like, no, Harry, I'm literally staring at a very detailed map of the deck <laughs> that you're on. Like, I, you don't need to leave the, the playing cards. And Harry's like, no, 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 this is going to pay off later. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what a reveal is, Tuvok? <laughs> you're gonna. <laughs> Seven of nine reports to first and first gets Real cranky that all of these delays are in fact intentional, that the Voyager crew are kind of stringing the teens along to, you know, buy time. Yeah. This is not a great scene for first. You know, the baby starts to do bad in some way that I didn't quite catch, but they have to beam it into a Borg bassinet. How sure were you that we were going to watch this Borg's fetus die in this vegetable broth? I came really close to believing we were going to get there. I really thought we were. If it was Star Trek Picard, we would have absolutely seen that. It, yeah, <laughs> they, they would have like pulled bloody pieces of cybernetic <laughs> equipment out of the baby if it was Star Trek Picard. I mean, part of the power of this scene is like Seven going to work in this leadership vacuum, right? Like First can't do shit yeah. and Seven just gets into it with the life-saving plan. She, like, she transports it into an incubator, but the incubator doesn't work, and then she picks it up and carries it out yeah. and uh, wants to take it over to Voyager because it's going to die without medical attention. Yeah, to get some kind of respiratory issue. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. And she has to fight for it, and all of the Borg teens are kind of against this, but she persuades them, and basically through force of personality has just big-dogged first into being last. Yeah. They rely on you, yet you lack the skills necessary to ensure their survival. We catch up with Harry Kim. He's setting, he is the one setting them up the bomb in the <laughs> uh, shield generator area and uh, gets surprised. You know, he hears a creepy noise off in a corner and then the Lilith Borg is there looking at him. This is like very much a lank, wet hair crawling out of a a well girl moment Uh, for this kid. Yeah, Harry looks down and she's got a little scalpel and slices his Achilles tendon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's so creepy. Great casting. Yeah. For her anyway. She holds up the cards. She says, uh, royal flush, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I was putting those very high on the walls in the scene where I was was leaving those 
as a trail. Like those were all much higher than you would be able to reach. It doesn't make any sense that you got all those cards. You aren't even human. How do you know who Freddy Krueger is? <laughs> she likes the queen. She likes the queen of hearts. Oh, she does like the queen, doesn't she? Huh. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. Interesting yeah. affinity there. I like Kim wanting to draw the dustbuster, but she shit talks him into not even trying. It's great. <laughs> she should be. Why don't you put her in charge? <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of Borg Newt, huh? She's a little badass. You know, we had researchers prepare notes for us, and mm-hmm. I didn't even notice this when I was like trying to cram before we recorded, but. Yeah, the actor that was originally cast in this part was the same actor that played Newt. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been a good get. She just had scheduling conflicts. Well, I mean, she's like 30 years old at the time of, <laughs> <laughs> of this filming. It would have been unusual. Yeah. I mean, they were they were going to have to like do some digital de-aging stuff, but the technology really wasn't there at the time. You know, speaking of digital technology, that does bring to mind another piece of trivia I saw. Oh, Yeah. The producers of Star Trek briefly considered replacing the actor who plays Echeb with Christopher Plummer, but (laughs) the studios did not have the money to do it. (laughs) I guess you could say they decided not to cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war in this particular instance. Indeed. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Janeway shows up in Six Bay to meet the Borg's baby, the Beatus. <laughs> I guess it's a baby now because it's no longer in in a maturation chamber, right? No, yeah, you're right. So I guess we can't use that really fun name anymore. <laughs> Because it's inaccurate? If you have type 2 diabetes like I have, you're confronted with choices. Is this why the doctor goes on and on about baby Borgs' biobed bonkers? The the show he wants to tape in his department? Roll that around your mouth. That's fun, eh? Well, and then get this whole long debate about when Borgs' life starts. Does it Mm. start in the maturation chamber or later? What did you make of what is clearly... Like when this, when Beatus is handed over <laughs> to Janeway for her to hold, she totally softens into this moment. And like, yeah. it looks like there's real motherly love happening here. I mean, how could you not fall in love with a little baby that's head is made out of metal? I love the smell of this baby head. It smells like vegetable <laughs> broth. <laughs> Speaking of vegetable broth, it is in this moment that the doctor chooses to hold up the weaponized pathogen. I love this composition. It's so great. Which looks like nothing more than a tube of, of vegetable stock. And holding this baby makes it impossible for Janeway to use the pathogen. It's like holding up a cross to Dracula, like her entire Everything about her changes when she sees that vial. Yeah. Captain, you don't seriously plan to use it. If I have to. We cut back over to the Borg ship where that little girl fucked Harry Kim's shit up off camera. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the cystic acne of what could possibly be a new drone lifestyle for him. Yeah. 
the uh, the nanoprobes are in him, and first is asking Seven about why there have been bombs set up around the shield generators, and um, you kind of feel like the deal is falling apart. Like the Borgs are not going to play nice anymore once they find that they've been set up the bomb. If you thought first was irritating up until this point, <laughs> the irritation needle is pegged here because the FaceTime between Janeway and the leader goes very poorly. She cannot get through to this kid that she just can't give them the deflector without the work that it takes to remove it. And once he hears this, the kid's like, cool, I'm just going to take it with the tractor beam and rip it off your ship like it's a rear view mirror or something. (laughs) Yeah. So they're tractoring the Voyager and just attempting to disassemble the ship and it's starting to look bad and seven realizes that uh the only way to stop this is to like cause kind of a record scratch moment and this is when she explains to all of these borg teens that their borg parents are not on their way in a minivan to pick them up your mom and dad are never coming home after going out for that pack of cigarettes (laughs) they consider you irrelevant irrelevant they're in Borg's Cabo drinking blended margaritas and blowing each other's backs out like the old days. The conflict between second and first really comes to a head when second goes into the computer to verify this emergency action message that Seven is telling them about and determines it's authentic. I concur, sir. Message is authentic. It's not not great news for for any of them. Like, they really were setting all of their hopes on this. And so first is like, fine, well, we'll fucking make our own collective and assimilate blackjack and hookers. Yeah. It's a bad scene. It's just sad. It appears as though first is edging towards cancellation, which is actually a thing that the actor who plays Icheb knows all about. <laughs> Brings me to my final piece of trivia Oh, yeah. I was able to find. The actor who plays Icheb is banned from Star Trek conventions though he is still a regular keynote speaker at SpaceyCon, the convention that celebrates <laughs> the work of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, so instead of introducing the pathogen to the Borgs, they come up with this idea of sending a feedback pulse along the beam, which is the first time in Star Trek history I learned firing the deflector dish at a Borg's cube actually works. <laughs> Somewhere in another quadrant, Will Riker's like, God damn it! <laughs> what do you mean? Give me a fucking break! <laughs> <laughs> and as this is happening, Lawyer 7 continues to uh, get it over on these kids while the bangers get dropped. Yeah. And first is trying to like hold it together leadership wise, but it's not really working. And this causes the shields to drop on the other ship. And it winds up with second and first getting in a physical altercation after first goes after seven. Yeah. Does it look like he's going to drop a fucking fire extinguisher on her head? It does. Yikes. Yeah. Some kind of like oblong object. I couldn't quite make it out. Yeah. So second stops him from doing that, and during this confrontation, it's clear that the sense of independence that first has the privilege of is not granted 
to the rest of the kids in their little collective. And those other kids are rebelling against that idea big time. First keeps saying, you know, assist me and I'm in charge and stuff. And they're like, ugh, it's kind of a bad look, dog. Yeah. And so first is like over trying to shore up some system and gets hit with a ton of warf lightning. And Seven does the there's nothing I can do for him moment after scanning him with the tricorder. And then Seven, like many Borgs we've seen before on the show, like starts ripping out implants Mm -hmm. in order to use for other projects. Yeah. This is still good stuff, she says. Yeah. (laughs) You going to eat the rest of that? (laughs) Is basically the attitude here. Yeah. So with Seven in charge, uh, the cube lowers its shields and we get an elliptical edit to Janeway's log, which tells us, you're not going to see what happened to the Borg ship. You're not going to see what happened to that infant. Many, many things happened off screen. <laughs> You'll never know about. Yeah. Kim is fine. The littlest Borgs are fine. And because Rick Berman is still the producer, form-fitting cat suits and giant breasts will be given to the girl. <laughs> Yeah, that was in the first draft of the script, but they had to take it out for what went to air. Yeah. The order is given that Seven is going to sort of become a surrogate parent to these Lilith Borgs, and Seven is initially sort of not enthusiastic about this, but comes around to the idea that some of the things that were hard for her, she can perhaps try and make a little bit easier for these kids. And we cut over to the cargo bay where she has prepared little iPads with like biographical information for each of them to get to know who they used to be and like what their species are and stuff. That girl just has a like file photo of the character from the ring in it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I can't see my face in this picture. What's up with this well? (laughs) It says my alien type is well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, we learn Icheb's name. We learn Misadi's name. We learn the twins. <laughs> yeah. Azan and Rebi. Yeah. They don't get a single line in this. They really don't. I mean, they get fewer lines than than the baby did when it was taken out of the vegetable amniotic fluid. Yeah. Their costumes really remind me of uh, the kid that grew the radishes and weird dirt. God, you said it. Yeah. You don't just get rid of those costumes. No. As long as the show's in production. I've always wondered why so many charging pads had been installed and left installed on the Voyager. It's like uh, having a a guest bedroom set up ready to go in one of the rooms of your house. You're like, why do we have one of these? No one stays over. Seems like a waste. (laughs) This is the reason. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Why, do, why did we get two bunk beds? Why did we do that? <laughs> Time for bed, kiddos. Yeah. They hop up into the charging pads, and uh, this is going to be something Naomi Wildman is going to hate, right? More kids on the show? Yeah. I mean, going to be a little bit tricky getting to learn how to play with these type of kids. I don't love this, but did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. 
I did like this episode. I think that um, it does an interesting thing, which is make the Borgs less scary in a way that doesn't make the Borgs less scary. Like, this is basically a ship full of deads and... Ship of the dead! <laughs> like, like kids left with the awesome power of a Borg's cube are still a huge fucking problem for yeah. the Voyager. And I feel like it's been a long time since the safety of the Voyager and its crew has felt as threatened by the Borgs as this episode made them feel. So uh, I think for that reason, and uh, just for the reason that I'm a huge fan of the actor that plays each um <laughs> How dare you? I really like this episode. <laughs> I'm going to be on the other side of this. This is not my favorite episode, and it's maybe my least favorite Borgs episode, because you came close to describing my feelings about it with like five kids in charge of a Borg ship would seem to be just as lethal as an entire crew complement on that same ship. But the lethality of the moment is about the kids being unpredictable adolescents rather than being a fucking teenager with a machine gun. Like, I wanted to feel like we were in more conventional danger here than, like, emotional danger. Hmm. And I will tend to dislike an episode that takes tooth after tooth out of the Borg's mouth, like, mm -hmm. leave the fangs in, insert more fangs. <laughs> I don't like this slow creep towards a gummy Borg's. That's not fun to me. And maybe the jerkiest knee I had at the very end of the episode was that resolution happening off screen about a Borg ship is the biggest weapons platform in Star Trek. What happened to that ship? They just turned around and left it? It's just lying derelict in space? We've reused exploded ships on the show before. Go to the file footage. Show me that <laughs> ship exploding. You have to resolve what happened to the ship. <laughs> so I think what I'm saying is like, this was just a little too rascalsy for me. I think if the kids were, were more in control of the ship, that would have been better. I think more Harry Kim yeah. would have bulked up this episode. There wasn't enough anarchy for me. Like, I feel like there should have been. And I think finally I want to say this. This could be a part that we could edit out. How about new? But when the character of Icheb was recast for Picard, the actor who played him had a huge Twitter meltdown. And Brie Belke was attacked on Twitter by this guy over the things that he was saying. Weak. And this being a pro-Brie Belke podcast, I just want to... Uh, say that that was fucked up. Yeah. You don't attack Brie Belke on Twitter or anywhere else, in my mind. No. So there you go. Not if you don't want the greatest generation coming for that ass. Yeah. Yeah. So there it is. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there are any Priority One messages in the Priority One message inbox? Oh, hopefully they're not a bunch of uh, unpredictable adolescent kid messages. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. Looking for a pod that's all about the fun of watching movies? 
Well, Bill and Rob's are making it on Bill and Rob's colon an excellent adventure. We take turns picking a variety of films, often ones we think the other would never see. Then we share our thoughts about whether they should be on your must watch list. From the movies of less famous siblings like Frank Stallone and Don Swayze, to Predator knockoffs, to blockbuster franchises, each shows like a trip to the video store for your ears. So search for Bill and Rob's on your podcatcher to check out our first two series, then join our Patreon at BillandRob's.com for new eps and lots of great extras. How about that? Editor Emeritus Rob Schulte and current social media manager for Uxbridge Shimoda, Bill Tilly, collaborating on a really fun sounding show here. Yeah, a couple of real peaches, Bill and Rob's. Go listen to their show. Yeah. Yeah, go check it out. Go see what uh, Frank Swayze's been up to. <laughs> go see, uh, who's another sibling? Mm. Don uh, Swayze. <laughs> Gerald Stallone. Are there any Baldwin brothers that we haven't heard of yet? How about that martial arts movie starring John claude Van Damme? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Clarence Baldwin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, check it out. Uh, Bill and Rob's Excellent Adventure, wherever you can find a podcast. Yeah. Put that into your ears. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Connor. It's to Sean. That message goes like this. Sean, fuck you and your eggs. Shit. Hope your birthday sucked. Damn. Thank you, Bill and Adam, for the pod. (laughs) But just a question for you. Do you think... The when is but you had when, the last were not, but maybe actually had is? Uh, what is... <laughs> is Connor like a mean drunk and got this P1 during a sesh? Hey, drunk money spends all the same, so we appreciate Connor's support. Hopefully not too much at the expense of, uh, of Sean and their feelings. But does, like, my half of the money have to go to Bill since I'm not one of the people thanked for the pod? Yeah, I love that uh, Connor saw fit to thank me and Bill. Yeah, weird. Bill being one half of the Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure podcast of the (laughs) previous Priority One message. Check it out! Yeah. Hey, fuck you and your eggs, Connor. Yeah, whoa! Whoa! Our final P1 today is from Mom, Dad, Moshe, and Sarah, and it's to Mike Katz, and it goes like this. When the Melkodians beamed Kirk, Spock, Chekhov, and McCoy down to the recreation of the OK Corral, none of the officers knew how to use the old-style six-guns. You see, they came from when no men had guns before. That's great. Happy birthday, Mike. Love, Mom, Dad, Moshe, and Sarah. It's a very dad joke, but it's, it sounds like it's from an entire family. It's also a very uh, belated happy birthday message. Uh, the requested date was late June. <laughs> Jesus. Well, sorry, Mike, that uh, we're so late, but uh, sounds like you've got a family that loves you a ton. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mike Katz. If you're looking for a podcast to listen to, you might want to try out uh, Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. Yeah. Like, or as Connor calls it, Ben and Rob's an excellent adventure. <laughs> I mean, Connor might think it's Adam and Ben an excellent adventure. <laughs> yeah, who knows what's going on uh, over there? Anyways, if you'd like to get a priority one message to 
wish somebody a happy birthday or slag somebody's eggs off or promote your show. It's yeah. MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give it to Janeway for the knee jerk of sending Seven over to that ship. Yeah. Right at the beginning. I think uh, that was my only like laugh line of the episode. Like I laughed out loud when when she decided that that was the obvious thing to do with yeah. the single person away mission to a Borg's cube. Just seemed like a real Shimoda move. How about you? Voyager has really made me a admirer of Janeway as a captain. One of my favorite captains is Captain Janeway, but I really think season six of Star Trek Voyager is a bad Janeway season. <laughs> Letting a lot of personal feelings get in the way of some pretty cut and dry command decisions in my mind. Come on, Captain, get it together. <laughs> that moment toward the end where uh, where where BLT's like, are we ready to fuck them up yet, Captain? And she's like, tapping into her personal computer device and into her chair and saying nothing during. Yeah, yeah. That's a scary moment. Really is. Didn't like that. So yeah, Janeway's going to be my drunk Shimoda also. Well, Adam, I'm going to uh, head over to gach.biz slash game where we keep the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. And uh, our runabout, of course, is on Square 78, the nth degree episode. And I hope uh, people enjoyed learning all of these previously unrevealed facts about this episode of Star Trek Voyager. I love being able to do that. Yeah. It really feels like a service. Yeah, some really interesting tidbits that we uncovered. Yeah. Of course, the next episode of Voyager is Season 6, Episode 17, Spirit Folk. The Voyager crew makes first contact with a holodeck program? <laughs> Doc! <laughs> <laughs> you build an alien species out of a holodeck program? <laughs> when we fill this hollow Irish bar full of 88 drinking Irishmen, you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> I think the only square that could modify us that we can hit is a, uh, a caught in the nebula square, which is, of course... Uh, when we record an episode with no notes in front of us. Oh, that could be fun. Let's get rid of the notes. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We'll see if we crash out of a highly researched episode into an episode where we are flying blind. Yeah. But I rolled a one, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Mm, we're on square 79. And uh, that's just a regular-ass episode for next week. That makes it still possible, though, huh? It is, yeah. On the road. No Notes is still still on the table for the future. So, uh, exciting. Exciting to see what the future holds. In the meantime, let's thank some people who are crucial to the production of this show. Of course, the most crucial people to the production of this show, Adam, are you and me. <laughs> Without us, this show wouldn't exist. That's right, Ben. At any point, either one of us could uh, bring this flimsy house of cards to the ground. <laughs> Fortunately, we are compelled to keep making the show based largely on the support we receive from friends of DeSoto everywhere. Financial support is what keeps the show going. Yeah. And that comes in many forms. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash join to support the show on a monthly basis. You can come see us on tour. You want to talk about direct support? 
buy a ticket to a show. Come see us live. Have a great night out with us. Great time for everyone involved. We got a, a merch store at podshop.biz. We've got P1s available. Support from so many directions helps make this thing go. It's amazing. Come out and see us live. We'll make you laugh your butt off. Yeah. You'll leave without a butt. Yeah. Like, we talk about butts and seats. When when we leave a theater, we're looking out at an empty auditorium full of seats that just have butts left in them. Yeah. You buy a seat, but you'll leave your butt on the edge. <laughs> You're only going to need the edge for your butt, which will be there when you go home. Are you cheating on me? You said you were going to a live Star Trek podcast and you come home without a butt? <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> Pack up your shit. Where's your fucking butt? <laughs> your butt's like 30% of the relationship for me. <laughs> Go back and get it. Uh, we got to thank Wendy Pretty, without whom uh, we would just be flailing at this point. She yeah. is the producer and editor of these shows and uh, does a great job. He's watching the shop while we're out on tour. Yeah. We gotta thank Bill Tilly, Card Daddy. Yeah. Billandrobs.com. Bill and Rob's Excellent Adventure, their podcast show. That's a great, a great friend of DeSoto right there. Yeah. Great Bill Tilly. Yeah. Hey, let's thank Adam Ragusia, who made the music for this show. Another great friend of DeSoto. Dark Materia, who made the uh, original Picard song. Thank all the folks that uh, administer the various uh, communities online. We don't thank those folks enough. The the folks that are moderating the Reddit and the Discord and the Facebook groups. Yeah. That's a ton of work. And by all accounts, those communities are super duper well run. And, you know, the toxic shit gets nipped in the bud real quick. And generally speaking, it is a super duper fun time for everyone involved. Largely through the uh, the efforts of those moderators, I think. And just the good vibes of the Friends of DeSoto. I was reminded of that on my flight out to the two-day Polish wedding. I, I did a couple hours in the Discord at DrunkShimoda.com while I was on the plane. Had a great time. Made the, the time pass so fast. It was great. That's awesome. With all that said, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager, the... Made a time travel machine out of a hologram? Time travel machine? What is that? What the fuck is happening to me? Time travel machine. Who says that? Uh, Biff, that's two coats of wax on the doors of the holodeck. Not just one. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.